0: Welcome to the EXPLAIN podcast, a podcast where next-generation sequencing techniques are explained to me by Daniel.
1: That's me, because I'm a bioinformatician and Julia is a physicist who joined us recently at the sequencing facility. We are two colleagues from the Next Generation Sequencing Competence Network and we work at the West German Genome Center in Düsseldorf. Hello everybody, so today we have another special episode, we will talk about... UMIs, Unique Molecular Identifiers.
0: Oh wow, okay.
1: Yes, we will solve the PCR problem. Oh my god. Basically, we will talk about one very famous virus, phi That's the most sequenced virus on Earth, I guess, and I will explain you why. It has something to do with cluster size and colors and short read sequencing.
0: Okay. And oh.
1: then we will look at very colorful graphs that I look at basically every day from one very fantastic tool called FastQC and another tool called MultiQC and FastP also. Sounds
0: English. like a lot of things for me today to learn about. Yes.
1: <laughs> okay, so we will start with PhiX phi X, and let's just have a very short intro into what that
2: actually is.
0: Yeah, but before you start talking about that, I would like to ask about terminology which you're all using with your bioinformatics sequencing and all this magic around. Every time when there is a sample coming and then you need to prepare the sample for the sequencing, mm-hmm. I hear like something about libraries. Mm-hmm. Here is a library, one is adapted, one is standardized, one you need to make it by your own. What is library (laughs) and how it is created and what's going on?
1: So a library is basically the finished product that you put on the sequencing device. Is it
0: like a standard, like a reference for whatever you will be putting afterwards
1: Mm. or not? No. So when DNA or RNA comes into our lab, those are fragments. We Mm -hmm. might have to fragment them even more. We might have to clean them up. Mm And then we add a barcode, we add an adapter, and maybe also a UMI. And all this combined, after the PCR, so that we have enough input material, is then a library. A library is a big amount of DNA prepared for sequencing.
0: Uh Aha, that's the library.
1: That's the library. And the library, the final library, we sometimes QC once more because we want to see whether the ligating adapters, barcode, blah, 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 did work indeed, Mm -hmm. and the fragments are the expected size, and then we put this library onto one flow cell, one smart cell, one nanopore flow cell, whatever we are starting to sequence with.
0: OK, yeah. cool. Thank you. alright Phix. right,
1: yes. 5x. 5x, yes. Um, that is very adjacent to whatever you mentioned. Because before sequencing, there are some sequencing protocols where you don't need PCR. Do you remember PCR? Just quickly, it's very fundamental. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. Can you repeat no. what, what happened?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Polymerase chain reaction. <laughs>
2: yes,
1: and
0: yeah, we are creating the complementary part of one single DNA strand yes. multiple times and yes. we are cycling it till we are having huge amounts of the same DNA. Surface.
1: Exactly, yeah. So we are multiplying the amount of DNA. We are not making new DNA from random sequences or something. We take the DNA that is in our sample and multiply it Mm -hmm. exponentially, okay? There is a problem which we also talked about already, which is the PCR bias. Do you remember that problem?
0: I remember PCR bias, wait a sec. It wasn't about that some nucleotides are faster than another ones? Yeah, basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They are implemented into the chain faster.
1: Yeah. The end result is that there are some fragments where the GC bias or the PCR bias is high and thus the PCR doesn't work as good. Mm -hmm. And if you have exponential growth and one half of your DNA sample is not growing as fast as the other, Mm -hmm. you have a problem, right? Because Mm -hmm. if you started with 50-50, with a PCR bias, you might not end up at 50-50 at Mm -hmm. 10 times the amount of DNA. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem we are going to solve with UMIs. Okay. But before, we need to talk about phi-x, phi-x. Yeah. You have been in a wet lab, Julia, and you have done experiments, right? Some of them. Okay. So the fundamentals of an experiment is that most of the time you have like a cell line or an organism or something or cells that you want to treat and to compare it to or see the effect of the treatments you also have the same amount of cells that you don't treat so control control samples. yes Mm -hmm. yes but that is not the only type of control Mm -hmm. because for most experiments you might want to have a positive and a negative control right Right. what Can you quickly just
0: explain what those are? If you're testing let's say agent one. Yeah. Then positive control will be where it's definitely working. Negative where it's definitely not working. Yeah. 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 And then native control where you you are not doing anything with your cells and then you're having whatever spectrum of different treatments. Yeah, you're putting them in the graph afterwards between this positive and negative control because some of them working better or worse.
1: Okay, and now... Was that we, true?
0: Yeah, Okay. that, that <laughs> works for me.
1: <laughs> and now we want to apply this scheme to sequencing, mm-hmm. right? So for sequencing, short, long read, whatever, doesn't really matter. The technology here is not important. But we usually want for everything that we do in the lab, we want a positive control and a negative control. Mm-hmm. We want to see that if we don't add this new therapeutic agent or if we don't treat it this way nothing changes right and we want also the positive control that the cells are actually alive and if you put something on top then they actually will die and you just need some control where you know that it will work
2: mm. right
1: mm-hmm. okay so your task now is how would you apply that to a sequencing run with let's say 20 samples that you want to sequence at once mm-hmm. how would you implement a negative control and how would you implement positive control?
0: 20 samples? Yeah, for example,
1: or 200, 2000, 2 million, doesn't matter.
0: And these are all different samples?
1: Yes. Same cell line, but just duplicates. I will give you a hint. The negative control is basically we are trying to sequence water. Water? Basically, yeah. What happens if you add PCR when you do PCR not with some sample, but with water? What happens?
0: Yeah, then nothing will be there, so it still stays water. Right. So, And then there is nothing to sequence. I don't know, what are you getting in, in a sequencer when you're having basically <laughs> nothing inside?
1: Nothing is not true because we still do the PCR. We still add nucleotides, we still add the enzymes and we still are doing the heat cycling. Right. What happens if you do a PCR with only water and no mm-hmm. sample is that you have still those single nucleotides swimming around.
0: Yeah, but they are random and they will... Absolutely random. During the sequencing, there is no strand.
1: They will not enter sequencing because f- before sequencing, we rule out, or we filter out all very short fragments, mm-hmm. which are one nucleotides is the shortest mm-hmm. fragment that you can have. We make sure that we sort those out and they will never actually reach a sequencing mm-hmm. cell, mm-hmm. a smart cell or a flow cell or whatever.
0: So in a sequencer, there will be water again.
1: So typically, if you have multiple samples, you want one negative control that can be water. That
0: one or three? depends on… Normally, in order to say something is happening or not, you need to have at least three, or
1: right? Right. That would be good scientific practice. We will boil it down now to one, only for okay. simplicity's mm-hmm. sake. Okay, so we have a negative control where we put water in. In the ideal case, we have zero reads coming out of that, mm-hmm. right? What would you do with the positive control in sequencing? What would that be?
0: I'm a bit puzzled because with the cells, you're really introducing some reagent on top of the cells and you want to have some effect on it. And how would you do that with DNA and with DNA strand? Maybe you are introducing some arrows or you're Mm -hmm. putting some ligation or whatever. Can you increase methylation?
1: (laughs) 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 Yes, you actually can. mm, It's much simpler because when every sequencing is its own experiment, The positive control is something that we know will work while sequencing. And basically everything that we know of works, what has DNA. But what is the standard for Illumina devices Mm -hmm. is we use a genome of a virus, Phi-X.
0: So that's why this Phi-X and this is your positive control because it's well characterized and so on and super standard. And you know exactly what to expect from it. Yes, exactly. Uh Okay.
1: Phi X is the positive control that is in each Illumina sequencing run. Yeah. It's roughly 1% of all of your reads. That but come wait,
0: out. wait, wait, wait. It doesn't matter which samples do you have, if you have like thousand different samples from different species, you always have positive control, like one virus genome?
1: Yes, doesn't matter the organism, doesn't matter how many samples, you always put in 1% of Phi X.
0: Okay, yeah, this is absolutely surprising for me because I don't know. (laughs) If you're working with a cell line and then Mm. you want to have your negative, positive control and everything, you're trying to get as close as possible, yeah? So all these samples are from one batch, from one flask. You know that they are one generation. They are not older or younger or were stressed by different meanings. And now here you're telling me, okay, we, (laughs) I don't know, we have human DNA, seal DNA and plants DNA and anyhow our reference is PhiX.
1: Yeah, because the experiment is sequencing and the question we are answering is whether the sequencing device works or not. Mm which is completely independent of species.
0: Yeah, so it's about artifacts that sequencer could introduce and this you could rule out by well-characterized system.
1: If your Phi-X sequencing works and all of your samples don't work, then it might be something due to the organism that you then have to troubleshoot later anyway, right? But the positive control for Illumina is Phi-X. You put them roughly 1% of the final library of whatever you put on the flow cell will be a uh, Phyx that you can buy from Illumina. It's basically a virus that feeds on E. coli. E. coli is a bacterium that is also very well characterized, used and known by everyone. It's not really toxic. It lives in your gut, actually, also in mine. Um, so it's not really harmful. And this virus is usually, I think it's grown on E. coli. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right? Okay. Right. So, however, it gets more complicated. The Illumina devices typically sort those reads directly out then you get a small report mapping rate. And yes, there was Phi X in the data and how much, um, but typically you never see phi X, phi X DNA sequences in your final Illumina output. It gets sorted out automatically. Yeah. Now they directly during sequencing, they see, okay, those spots, those clusters here look like phi X. They map them during demultiplexing or even during sequencing. And then after the run, you can see, okay, the phi X control worked. So it if I have a problem, it needs to be some other source. We see no, not in the reads. They will never land there. They always during the multiplexing land in one special file, which is called undetermined, because <laughs> there is all the garbage and phi X is in there mm-hmm. in each run. Um, but we get two numbers of mapping rate and how much phi X actually was on the flow cell itself.
0: This is bacteriophage. Is yes, you know? because E. coli phyx. is a
1: bacteria. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. But what do you think? There have been there have been research questions about this virus, right? How would you sequence the virus if the virus is the control? Do you know, do you understand what my question
0: is? Not at all.
1: You have Illumina devices where Phi-X DNA is the positive control. Mm. But what if you want to sequence 20 Phi-X samples because you have some research question where you want to sequence the genome of Phi-X.
0: What will you use as your reference to see if it makes sense? No, because
1: Phi-X is always the control in Illumina. Yeah, yeah. Sequences that are, they will be removed, yeah. Yeah, what if everything
0: is removed, then all fine. You have a good sample. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: you, you have a research question and samples with different characteristics, so DNA snips or something.
0: Yeah, then you need to point regions of interest so that they are not cancelled out and you're getting them within the sequencer. Can't mm-hmm. you do that? The,
1: the solution to the problem is much easier. You add barcodes.
0: The barcodes?
1: Because Phi X that you add to the library yeah. doesn't have any barcode. Okay. And all the samples that you sequence in the sample sheet you can just add sample blah 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 barcode this and this right
0: okay and then it, it will not be recognized as a phyx That's it will be
1: recognized but it will not land in the undetermined because but it has not? a barcode because it has a barcode Na und? <laughs> so what <laughs>
0: nee, i mean it's the same thing it's the same so what?
1: <laughs> same thing but the barcode is missing And the barcode during the multiplexing says barcode blah 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 into that pot right And we have multiple samples and each one has a different barcode.
0: So barcode guarantees that everything what comes afterwards is not landing in undetermined. Undetermined.
1: Yes, exactly. Because of the barcode, we sort it to buckets and Mm -hmm. whatever sequence we don't find a bucket for lands Mm -hmm. in undetermined. And if that sequence in undetermined maps to phi x, Mm -hmm. then we have our control reads, our positive control for sequencing. That is different for other technologies. In ion-torrent sequencing, the positive control was not Phi-X, it was the human Ceph gene, C-E-P-H.
0: What is that? I have no Who idea. knows? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows?
1: And for PEG-Bio sequencing, for example, you have a very different approach because you okay. have a different target fragment length. Mm-hmm. PacBio bio actually makes just completely artificial DNA pieces that map to no organism, that come from nothing, that just make it from PCR and lots and mm-hmm. lots.
0: And they know exactly what it is, that's yes. why, why not?
1: And it maps mm-hmm. to no organism, so we won't have that problem ever, right? We can sequence phix with Pecpy without any issues, without even adding a barcode if we really need.
0: Who knows, maybe this organism will appear sometimes on I the mean, map. <laughs> All right.
1: There are Special setups, and there is a special reason why sometimes you don't add 1% Phi X, but 30, 30%.
0: So much more.
1: You lose 30% of your throughput and you add Phi X. Do you have an idea? Why would anyone lose so much of the reading throughput of the cartridge from Illumina or whatever that you pay for? A lot of money. Why would you justify losing that much reads? 30%. Do you have an idea?
0: Either you have low density or concentration of your own sample or it has such a bad quality that somehow you will improve the, the quality of the reads by that. Yeah, yeah that's pretty, That's not but, bad. But I still have no idea how. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, okay. that was really a blind shot. I mean, you have 1% or whatever percent, some small amount of your reference sample and it should be enough. We are still talking about Illumina and about mm-hmm. short reads. Mm-hmm. And from this perspective, it already has quite a good quality of the reads. Mm -hmm. So why would you want to make it even better?
1: Well, you don't make it better, you try to not make it worse. So do you remember how… Yeah, but
0: try not to make it worse that doesn't worth 30% of the throughput.
1: It is, it is, because otherwise sequencing wouldn't be useful in that case. Uh Do you remember how the clusters were formed on the Illumina platform? we had this bridge amplification, right? Uh And then those clusters during bridge PCR Mm -hmm. would grow and grow and grow. But you have an optimum, Mm -hmm. right? You have Mm -hmm. an optimum of cluster size, which is small enough that you have many, many clusters, Mm -hmm. but not too big that they overlap because then the machine can't really detect where does one cluster end, where does the other start. That's a problem with Illumina. Uh Because we are working with optics, we are judging on images. Mm-hmm. And if colors then overlap, then there's a problem in image recognition. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the world of metagenomics. Oh, or thank you. Low complexity runs.
0: Low complexity runs.
1: Low complexity runs. What if you sequence and the first 10 bases are the same for every cluster? The first three bases from Illumina is where Illumina determines where is the start at the beginning of one DNA cluster. Mm-hmm. It needs three cycles and it decides what are the borders of one specific PCR-made cluster. Mm -hmm. What if the first three bases are the same bases everywhere? Well, it would say there is just one cluster, just one read. That would be really shitty because you paid for basically having a cartridge with millions of possible reads, right? Mm -hmm. So the idea is that you add Phi X to up the diversity of your sequencing. Diversity means that the first three bases are different. And the cluster borders are better defined.
0: Are you loading the cell randomly? So yes. OK, then then I agree. Then I understand <laughs> the principle. <laughs> At some point, I had in mind that the flow cell, it's kind of you're putting the sample explicitly in one place. So for example, if it's 30%, it's like it will be one corner of the flow <laughs> cell <No>. with, uh, <laughs> filled with 30% and then like another corner and so on but then the hypothesis of improving the reads so the quality of the reads then it would not work exactly. but of course if you're putting it like this it's kind of mixture of different things clusters would be better defined once yes. once they're grown yes
1: and the fx control is not only one fragment of 100 base pairs it's many fx doesn't have a really big genome but it's enough to make the picture of the first three clusters diverse enough Mm -hmm. that the Illumina machine can decide, oh, here's a cluster that's only, that's actually two clusters, right? Mm -hmm. So you get more clusters in the end.
0: Yeah, so it has an average size of 500 base pairs.
1: Which is not big, Mm -hmm. it's really not big, but it's still enough to have several different fragments Mm -hmm. where the first base that you sequence or the first three bases that you sequence are still different from one another. And microbiome is a problem because you sometimes just sequence part of the ribosomal RNA or DNA, actually. And this is basically all the same. And you just later have the differences in sequences that you are interested in. Okay. So you have a problem with the first few bases being very similar between samples and even fragments.
2: Does mm-hmm. that make sense?
0: Yeah, I think so. Good. Okay. Did you know that this Phi-X has a balanced base composition? 45% of G, C, and 55 of AT.
1: That's cool, no? <laughs> that's one of the arguments why Phix x was chosen. Yeah, It's also one model organism. Mm-hmm. It's not harmful to humans. It's very easy to grow in an E. coli strand, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were several arguments to use it. But bio decided for something completely artificial. And I don't know why Temo Fisher decided for the human SAF gene. I think it's also because the bases are pretty balanced. And mm-hmm. you don't have long homopolymers that could also be a problem, right? Sure. Okay. PCR problem. We started with doing a PCR if you don't have enough material for filling the complete flow cell, right? Yeah. At some point we talked about PCR. PCR is an Mm -hmm. easy way to make loads of DNA so that you have enough to sequence. Yeah. However, PCR becomes a problem because of the PCR bias Mm -hmm. when you try to quantify stuff. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a PCR bias, one fragment works better in PCR than the other. And thus, when you start out with, let's say, two DNA fragments, they're 50-50, same concentration, Mm -hmm. and you do PCR, and one just works better during PCR than the other.
0: Then you're getting more DNAs of one type than another. Yes, Mm -hmm. and
1: then in the end, you don't have 50-50 anymore, Mm -hmm. right? And that gets a huge problem when you try to quantify stuff. Mm -hmm. For example, RNA that you then, before you do PCR, convert into complementary DNA, but the problem is the same. So in transcriptomics, we want to try and quantify RNA. And that's hugely important for basically all RNA studies Mm -hmm. that we can precisely count the RNA molecules in the real cell. Not what we sequenced, but whatever was really in the cell before we started to fragment it and do a PCR and stuff, right? Uh
0: Uh-huh, okay. Mm -hmm.
1: Do you have any idea how you would solve this problem of avoiding the PCR bias while still needing some way to do PCR or to multiply the amount of... DNA in the end. I mean you could just take ten times the amount of cells, isolate the RNA, make more DNA, and then you don't need a PCR in the end. But what if you have a workflow where you need to do PCR? What if you Mm -hmm. what if you don't have enough cells and you absolutely need to do a PCR with many, many cycles? so that the PCR bias will be huge in the end.
0: (laughs) No idea. Silence some of them at 1% of whatever, stop things.
1: Stopping something? Or kind of filtering. How do you know that 1% is the limit here, right? There could be a transcript that in the original cell was 20% of all RNA, even Mm -hmm. if you have 20,000 transcripts and there are different ones.
0: Yeah, well, you again need to go with something like a reference. If you have a reference with 50-50 and then... You're having your sample where you have some weird amounts, 30, Ah, 30, 70, and then Mm. you're comparing it and then you know what's your coefficient to balance out your reads afterwards.
1: So like a spike in that you can normalize to one sample. Okay. I don't know
0: what's the name for it. What? Spike in? What? Spike in. (laughs) What's that? (laughs) mm, Yeah. mm, mm,
1: mm, Okay. You can do that, but you then would need to sequence a lot of extra samples just to have this conversion factor for each run. Yeah, might be, but if
0: I know that it's definitely will be biased in my certain case, then maybe I would like to have lower throughput, but...
1: To justify this, all we know for a fact that all PCRs have a bias Mm -hmm. and that we each time run into this problem once we do a PCR.
0: Yeah, but it's every time it's different, right? It can be 10%, can be 20%, so you cannot really quantify.
1: So you can actually uh, mathematically, because you know which basis have which thermodynamics, you could mathematically try to model
0: this. Yeah, yeah, to simulate and then say, OK, this and this. But amount. there,
1: in each PCR, there are a lot of random effects, right? Like, where is the RNA exactly in the tube? Like, is it at the bottom? Is it at the top? Will it heat up a little bit slower, mm-hmm. a little bit faster and stuff? A lot of random things that yeah, you cannot yeah. really control. Right? Mm-hmm. There is one much more easier. Mm-hmm. solution to that problem and that is again sticking some piece of DNA to your DNA fragment that you want to sequence. So again ligation of something. Mm-hmm. 10 bases. You are adding 10 bases to each original DNA piece. Mm-hmm. We call this unique molecular identifiers. Mm-hmm. So you have your fragment and you add the adapter so that it will attach to the sequencing flow cell. Okay. You also ligate the barcode that you are able to sort each Fragment and each read into a bucket that corresponds to the sample that it came mm-hmm. from. Right? Mm-hmm. Barcode AATCG means it was sample 15 treated, and then after the barcode you add 10 more bases. Mm-hmm. Six of them are random, and the other four are a spacer or so-called a common sequence. Okay.
0: Complicated? Okay. Yeah, yeah. We
1: will. We will get there. I'm still here. Yeah. <laughs> Talk <laughs> so, to me. <laughs> so the important thing is that you do this before you do the PCR. Okay, so before the PCR, you add to each fragment a uh, UMI, which means 10 bases of which six are random mm-hmm. and different between each of the original fragments that you had before mm-hmm. you do the PCR. And the four, there are other setups as well, but we will talk now about Lexogen quantic standard setup. The four are in this case TATA. Mm-hmm. And one simple function of this TATA is by Illumina sequencing, you know which base, has which position, right? Mm-hmm. After adapter comes 10 bases the barcode and then 10 bases the UMI. Right. So it, you know that if position 26 to 30 are TATA, mm-hmm. then the UMI incorporation did work. Mm-hmm. There is a small amount of DNA or RNA fragments where TATA is the actual start of the sequence. So the UMI incorporation didn't work, but that's a very slow amount. That's a very low amount and we ignore that for now.
0: But what are you doing with this? The question was, how do you go away from PCR bias? And yeah. I'm, still uh, not, I'm still not there.
1: We for now only have indicated that whether it worked to glue on this additional 10 nucleotide pieces, piece of DNA yeah. to our fragment or not. Mm-hmm. And that is just the TATA. The six random bases before that yeah. are random and six different bases. And you have four bases for each position, right? So each position in the six bases could either be a C, T, A, or G. Yeah. So the total amount of different combinations of nucleotides that you can have is huge, millions. The idea here is that each fragment in the end gets one unique UMI that's almost unique. It doesn't need to be completely unique Mm -hmm. because then you would need several millions and longer UMI. And you have the TATA. And then you do PCR. And the idea is every PCR that you do also incorporates the same UMI, right?
0: Or mm-hmm. well, th- complementary.
1: Or the complementary, doesn't mm-hmm. really matter. But the thing here is you will find then in sequencing, you will find the Tata in each fragment mm-hmm. and the six nucleotides that came before. Mm-hmm. And here's the funny part. We hypothesize that each UMI in the beginning was basically unique from this transcript. Mm-hmm. And if we then later, after sequencing, see the same transcript, With the same UMI Mm -hmm. then those are doublets Mm
2: -hmm. and we
1: can remove them because each UMI in the beginning was unique and we did a PCR to multiply it. We later at sequencing point we have a lot of the same fragment with the same UMI Mm -hmm. and if the same fragment exactly the same fragment from the same gene that maps to the same Mm -hmm. original nucleotides on reference genome if they are in the position the same there is a TATA and the same six nucleotides then we know that all of those fragments, all of those reads that have exactly the same sequence, mm. come from one DNA fragment.
0: You cancel out all the work about multiplying all, all the, things. the duplicates. so yes. you multiply just to get enough signal, and then afterwards yes. you're deleting it again and you're coming to only one to the first yes. original thing.
1: Yes, in cases you delete 90% of your mm. sequencing output.
0: Oh my god, so yeah. many efforts.
1: Yeah, But the cool thing is, whatever had the same UMI and maps to the same region was from one molecule from the start. And that's the important thing, right? You can have in the original sample, you don't have every RNA only once. Mm -hmm. You have certain fragments being there 20, 30,000 times or Mm -hmm. 100 times. And the chances are very high that each of those or most of those get a different UMI. So if you later then, after RNA-seq or whatever, map them to the same region and they have different UMIs. And they come from different fragments from the beginning. Okay. So mm-hmm. you quantify really realistically, right?
0: Oh, interesting. <laughs> Makes sense? Okay, so... The Slowly making more <laughs> sense?
1: <laughs> we see huge differences. If you delete 99% of all doublets, mm-hmm. then you have much more realistic quantifications from the cells that you came from, right? So the realistic abundances are much more real life.
0: Do you want to say, or are you implying that by removing all the duplicates and then staying only with this 1% or whatever Mm -hmm. percent, that you are also getting rid of PCR bias?
1: Yes, that's the whole idea of UMIs, that you remove the PCR bias. The problem here is that you lose 10 nucleotides, right? You can sequence basically only shorter fragments, because…
0: Who cares? It's only 10.
1: It's only 10, yeah. That's a big point. However, the most of the Illumina cartridges, for example, the cartridge for sequencing 100 nucleotides, cannot sequence 100 nucleotides, but it can. You can sequence 128 nucleotides with it, actually. So there is enough playing room for adding this, right? Mm-hmm. And removing 90% is a worst case for samples with low quality, low input amount, a high amount of PCR needed. But in good cases where we have enough material from the start, you just remove 10, 20, maybe 30%. Uh Aha, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So 90% is only in like worst cases if we have bad degraded RNA. Mm
0: -hmm. Or you got such a low amount of DNA, like when you work with insects, for example. For example. Yeah, yeah. From humans or big animals. I don't see a big problem.
1: That's usually not the case. Yeah, the cases for sometimes bacteria, virus, Mm -hmm. small organisms. Mm -hmm. That's correct. And sometimes samples where you can only sample once, right? For humans, if you draw blood and it isn't enough, they can come back and you can draw blood again,
2: Mm -hmm. I guess. Mm -hmm.
1: But there are circumstances where you have only one chance, one shot. Mm -hmm. And then that's whatever you get, is what you try to make the best of. Mm -hmm. And that is one of the use cases for UMIs. So quantifying the amounts that we had before PCR is really important for transcriptomics, Mm -hmm. for calculating how much RNA was actually in the cell. Yep. Uh, but it's also important in DNA sequencing. Can you imagine why? <laughs> That's a tricky question, though. <laughs> <laughs> uh, DNA. Yeah, because DNA, you have two chromosomes of each, so why would you need to quantify, right? I don't know. Tell me. Because sometimes you don't. What you don't? <laughs> cell, some cells don't have two chromosomes of each, right? For example, cancer is very famous mm-hmm. for having not two chromosomes, but sometimes 16, 5, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then it and gets... And pl- impl- plants also? Plants also, yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Plants is the second case where you don't have two chromosomes, but sometimes six, seven, eight of each, right? And then it's really helpful to know whether this mutation is on one chromosome Mm -hmm. or on each chromosome.
0: Okay. Mm. Right. Right. Not that tricky. I just needed to think about it a little. (laughs) I I gave up much too soon. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It's not that complicated. You add 10 nucleotides, and then we we are able to detect all duplicates Mm. very reliably. Mm Mm-hmm. You can, of course, make this UMI much longer and then you have an even higher chance of unique things. But six is good enough because you, you are not looking only for the UMI. You are also looking for the rest of the fragment.
0: Yeah, yeah, you have already more than enough possibilities there.
1: Yeah. You want to look at pictures? I want to look Let's at Let's go for it. Good. OK, so we have a third topic today, which is looking at funny colors, bars and graphs charts. That's what we love uh because i as a bioinformatician i am daily judging sequencing runs whether they did work or not how good the samples were or not
0: are you doing that i thought that these are all these what is it ssq5 yeah the, the the machine the g- FASQs. yeah the FASQs file. we
1: are we are now looking into FASQs. yes
0: yeah but i thought that they are judging bioinformaticians yes. do you judge i
1: judge whether it's good <laughs> enough whether that is what we wanted uh huh Right. So the okay. sequencing machine spits out, that is how good the sequencing was. And I look at it and say, well, was it supposed to be that way? Was it supposed to be much better? Or how, uh-huh. how did the sequencing go? Okay, so we start with thanking the developers of the tool FastQC, MultiQC, and FastP, because that is what we are looking at.
0: Thank you, amazing people.
1: <laughs> Those are very standardized. So each bioinformatician can basically look at a FastQC report and look at the data and judge it.
0: So you will never What's be hired that? as a bioinformatician if you cannot answer what fast <laughs> what is it fastq
2: c-
1: fastq we have fastq fast we, we have fastq files and we are looking fast into Q. the fastq files with the tool fastqc mm-hmm. multiqc and fastp and we are now looking at a multiqc report which summarizes many fastq C reports. Thank okay. you.
0: I already forgot all the names. But
1: we will start with an easy, fast QC report, OK? They are so <laughs> <laughs> We have on one flow cell many samples most of the time, Hopefully. right? Hopefully. We add different barcodes and stuff. So the reads of each sample gets ordered in one bucket, mm-hmm. one fast Q file or two. Depends on whether it's single read or paired mm-hmm. end sequencing. According to the barcode. And then we have for each sample, we have one or two files in the end, one or two FASTQ files in the end. And in those FASTQ files are not only the sequences and some metadata, but also the qualities of the
2: mm-hmm.
1: basis, right? How sure the machine was that ah, it was 35, really,
0: and whatever. Yeah, these FRET scores, sc- Q scores. Fret, FRET score.
1: Exactly. And now we are looking at our first FASTQC report. Yeah. And Exciting. we have one. I just picked one random sample that I had the first Q C report just on hand. Can you describe this first graph here?
0: And all the project leads from <laughs> from this project <laughs> are like thank you. <laughs> okay. What I'm going to
1: describe just what you look at.
0: There are different positions on the X axis. On the Y axis I guess is quality scores.
1: So it's a it's a XY plot, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. It's uh, there are three areas from the y-axis, from 0 to 20, from 20 to 28, and then everything what's above. Uh-huh. And in this case, for this sample for this project, there is 35 is a maximum on the y-axis. Uh-huh. And then positions in read, base pairs, they go basically from 1 to 91. Uh-huh. Yeah. So And on y-axis, of course, we have this red, yellow, and green areas. and since it's quality scores, of course, it's showing like where it's good and where it's not. Exactly. Yeah. But I don't really see there some points. It looks like a stripes nope. and maybe yep. Daniel could explain me why.
1: Okay. So, in this plot, uh, we have the lower quality area, which is here red, which is basically every Q of red score under 20.
0: You can't believe in this data or is the statement false? Wh-
1: what is Q score 20? Can you remember? So Q-score or fret score of 10 was? How many percent it was sure that it's a real sequencing base?
0: 99?
1: Yes. And and fr- then it's
0: yeah. 99.9 and for then 20. and so on and so on. Yeah. And for
1: 30, it's 99.9. 999. No, no. Just, just, <laughs> <laughs> just one nine more <laughs> than 20, okay? Yeah. So
0: <laughs> okay. Okay, Daniel. <laughs> <yeah. laughs> so
1: everything below Q-score 20 is red, means failed. Everything below 28 is yellow means you have to decide, depends on the essay, because some assays do have just worse quality, for example, exome. And then everything above 28 is green, which means good quality. Here we have reads which are 90 nucleotides long, because we had Illumina P1, I think uh, this was, but I have to check. Mm-hmm. Um, we sequenced 100 nucleotides. Mm-hmm. So and
0: pretty short fragments.
1: So the cartridge was for 100 Uh, nucleotides, read length, single read, and we just need to do one more cycle for the pre and post phasing, so basically the nucleotides that jumped once and incorporated two nucleotides instead of one, Mm -hmm. and that is why you do one cycle more Mm -hmm. than whatever you target. And then we had actually 101, because 10 nucleotides did go for, yes, UMIs. 10 nucleotides we already removed with the UMIs, Mm -hmm. so this is without UMI data. Mm
0: -hmm. How to read it, because I see these Mm -hmm. vertical stripes Mm -hmm. that are going on the y-axis from red, yellow to green Mm -hmm. uh, for each position, but they are all the same. So I I don't see any fluctuations within FRET score or within the quality. Yes. that's. Uh, How do you identify or what does it mean? How do you analyze it?
1: So for our specific sample here, there is a horizontal line throughout all positions. So from position nucleotide one to 90. And the whole line here, the blue line, it's all in the green.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: the sequencing basically went good. Ah, there
0: the is a blue line. Wait a sec.
1: The blue line is the actual sample. The blue line is whatever came out line? of the sequencing device. The red line is the maximum, the best.
0: Okay, guys, I misinformed you a little bit <laughs> <laughs> because they were exactly. So what I explained to you was a background, so to say, for the sequencing run. And then you have solid lines on top of it with your real data, which shows you in which area it is. And that was exactly what I asked Daniel, like, how do you analyze? Actually, he doesn't analyze from this perspective. At this point, he needs to see where the line is, in which area it is. Is it in a red, yellow or green area? If it's in the green area, how far it is to the top to show that the quality is good enough?
1: Yeah. So here we see that basically sequencing went well. The fret scores, the Q scores are r- really good. The, every fret score here is above 30, right? So there's no blue thing going down to 30. That's I have good. a question.
0: Yes. The actual data there, this line, what I see is it's pretty constant. Yes. And in some episodes, we were talking about the sequencing, that it's kind of getting worse the longer oh, it's Oh, you will see that. It's you will th- see
1: that. It's in the next file.
0: Okay. Wonderful. From my perspective, it would be kind of, oh, good enough. And I don't see that it's declining close to the position 90. So it doesn't go to yellow area or something.
1: Yeah. So we will now quickly go through this fast QC report because there is a multi-QC report waiting for you. Good. Per tile sequence quality, we will ignore per sequence quality scores. That might be also interesting for you. It's basically the same data, just plotted in a different way. Can you explain that graph here? It's... The same data just represented in another XY.
0: You're basically looking for a peak, and the peak will be at your FRET score.
1: That is represented the most in the data.
0: Exactly, yeah. So you don't really uh, need to look at the red, yellow, and green areas and whatever. You're just looking for the peak where the most data are. And at this graph, you definitely see the peak at 33 with the width somewhere between 32 and 34, so yep. it's a pretty narrow peak that shows that even within this distribution of the data, you're still at a very good green area.
1: Yes, and that is one more indication that the sequencing went pretty well, right? Okay. Good data. Good data so far, yes. Does this plot surprise you? So we are now looking at a per base sequence content. So that is over the whole length of the average read, We calculate on position 55 how much percent of reads had a G there, how much had a C there, how much of the reads had a T there, and how many of the reads had at position 35 or whatever an A. And that is calculated for each position. And you see some very characteristic lines, right? You have an A line, a C line, a T line, and a G line. And those are actually different.
0: Yeah, yeah. And A and T are higher. Then C and G. Why? Is that because of the PCR bias? Maybe. (laughs) How
1: are the numbers? What what is higher and what is lower?
0: So it's the sequence content across all bases, and they have difference of Mm ten. So C and G are at around twenty. What the units for that? Twenty percent.
1: Twenty percent. Okay, about
0: twenty percent, and uh, T and A lay pretty close to each other within thirty percent. So there is 10% difference in them. Yeah. But can you tell me, when I'm looking at the position... That's basically uh, in human. read, for example, I'm taking 45. How can it be that exactly at this position I have all four nucleotides?
1: Because there is nothing else you can sequence except four nucleotides.
0: No, but I thought that at one position there could be only one nucleotide and then you're moving to the next position and then you have another nucleotide. Or do I misunderstand? You have millions of
1: reads and each read can be different at each position.
0: I'm always coming down you know for simplicity uh, <laughs> to uh, to one <laughs> to one sequence but in this case if I would have only one strand then I would not have all these percentages no? I would have If
1: you uh, if you would sequence only one read then yeah. you would have not curves that are pretty similar but you would have just one very wobbly curve that goes Yeah that goes to from 100% one to 0% exactly percent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly okay and now we see the per base N content Plot yeah, which what is, is very is n content? N content means no base, nothing detected. Bad signal, no signal, sequencing failed. And there is a red line here that you don't really see, but it basically means that zero percent of each of our bases, starting from base one again to mm-hmm. ninety one. Yeah. I is would n-
0: never say zero percent, I would say less yeah. than one. <laughs> much less than one, because it's basically much less at than the one. Point. Yeah. So, so it's so that,
1: that is another indication that the sequencing went good because we didn't have in a lot of reads where the sequencing didn't work. signal didn't work for some
2: reason. Yeah, yeah. We don't mm-hmm. know yet why, mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
0: And reasons could be, of course, multiple. <laughs> Try to recognize what went wrong, yeah? At which point, which percent of uh, N content would be an indicator for you to repeat <sighs> the sequencing?
1: Depends highly on the setup, on the platform, and on the whatever you sequence. But 1%, 2
0: Ah. Yeah. Okay. And if it's like 10 and more, you're like, poor people, something went wrong. Yeah. Let's repeat.
1: Yes, absolutely. 10% is a red flag.
0: So you are that picky? Yes.
1: Okay. So now we had fun with a FastQC report, and now I will give Julia something much more complex. I will give her a multi QC report, which has the same data summarized in a more beautiful way somewhat, but for multiple. Can you just quickly go over it? I will let you play as much as you want with it.
0: Fantastic. My God.
1: (laughs) You can scroll down. There are many plots (laughs) again. It will not
0: give you anything. Just do something. Please
1: (laughs) explain each plot and uh, ask me whenever you need.
0: I don't see plots here. (laughs) These are not plots. Oh, there, okay, there are there some are, plots. There are plots, really. <laughs> Some way around. First of all, we are coming to general statistics, and this is what I really like because it's a tab. It's a web in the page. Browser. It's an HTML file. Yes. Yeah, so I would not call it.
1: File. As fast QC and fast P also, they are all HTML files.
0: All right. So there are several chapters uh, which you can look at. First of all, we land to general statistics, where I see the list of samples.
1: Yes, there were multiple samples sequenced on the same sequencing run, on the same sequencing flow cell, but with different barcodes. So this report was made after multiplexing.
0: All right, wonderful. I don't remember what it is, but let's go for it. <laughs> <laughs> in this general statistics, we can see three parameters. First, it's percent of, I think, duplicates. Yeah, it's like dupes, written. Yes, duplicates. Yeah, yes. so percentage of duplicates. And in this particular case, for this particular project, there is a super high percentage of duplicates, I would say, because the lowest possible one is 66. And there is even one sample with 95% of duplicates. Yes.
1: There was a sequencing run without UMIs. So those duplicates are basically reads with the exact same sequence. And there you have to, the problem now are those technical duplicates coming from the PCR. Mm-hmm. Or were the duplicates because it was actually the same sequence being there multiple times in the cell? Right. It could be biological, but it also can be PCR bias.
0: All right. So then there is the next parameter percentage of GC. Does it tell us something about PCR bias? That's why it is there?
1: Yes. And also about whether we sequence genome, what genome, because there are some organisms which have a very characteristic GC percentage. Oh, interesting. Okay. And we have a problem with the sequencing if T is 99% Mm. of all reads, right?
0: I see. Good. So here, all samples were within 30, 40% of CNG. And then there is next parameter, what is M sequences? Million. Oh, okay. <laughs> so these are the millions and we yes. had the very good, so can wow, you it's 36 million and, and there yes. is a forty millions, and the so lowest one is 29.
1: Two questions for you. One is how many samples are you looking at currently? Can you quickly judge that?
0: Eight samples.
1: Eight samples. Okay. And how many reads do you have per sample in this setup, in this sequencing setup there that you see?
0: How many reads?
1: How many million reads per sample do you have?
0: Ah, yeah. It's about 40, 40 millions. Mm-hmm. So 30, 30 to 40 millions mm-hmm. reads per sample.
1: And how many of those 30 to 40 million reads are duplicates? Just roughly, just eyeballing.
0: Let's just go for one sample, mm-hmm. where is 40 million sequences and there is 95% of duplicates.
1: Yeah, yeah. that happens, yeah.
0: <laughs> what does it tell us?
1: Well, it tells us that it might be a PCR problem, right? We had a lot of PCR made. It can also be that there is a specific thing that we sequenced just a lot of. It can also be that we didn't have a lot of material from the start. It can be many things, basically it can also be biological reason that there is actually 95% of all RNA in this sample is this one specific fragment for some reason, right? That mm. can also be.
0: Okay, now we are going to some name dropping because it's the next chapter of a MultiQS file. Uh, FastQS is a quality control tool for high throughput sequence data written by Simon Andrews Yes, at the Bebraham mm-hmm. Institute in Cambridge.
1: Yes, and MultiQC is written by Phil Evels He's working in uh, Sweden, I think.
0: Mm, or Denmark. Wonderful. Yeah. Cool. So the next chapter here is sequence counts mm-hmm. for each sample, and duplicate read counts are an estimate in this case.
1: Can Can you tell me how much do they differ? The reads in millions like is there a huge difference between one sample or the other on how many reads they have i would
0: say pretty much so within these eight samples Mm -hmm. we are going from two millions Mm -hmm. to twelve millions of unique reads and the rest is duplicates
1: okay but no no i was talking about the total amount of reads per sample does it differ a lot or not like the total bar Blue and the uh, mm-hmm. black combined. Are they? Yeah, much I already
0: different? said it's from twenty eight to forty millions. Yeah. And so. this
1: is actually due to one person being very precise with the pipette. Because you ah. have to pipette each sample equimolar right. oh, into wow. the final library. I. So however big those bar plots differ is how good or how able or how experienced the person is pipetting <gasps> the same amount of DNA or RNA from each sample.
0: So you could hire technician specialists after they do a test run for you and then you see how many, <laughs> <laughs> what's the, what the difference is in there. Y- yes, y- sure. This is an ideal test trial. <laughs> <laughs> now I want to do that?
1: No, because it's also dependent on the pipette and on samples because sometimes the samples are different a little bit.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah. Density of the samples also can be different, right? And then y- the no, pipetting you, arrow bar also will be bigger or smaller. You, you
1: determine the DNA fragment amount and length, and then you pipette them equimolar, right? Mm-hmm. Not equal amounts, but equimolar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that you make sure that the same amount of data comes from every mm-hmm.
0: sample. Good.
1: Fast QC and several Fast QC reports are summarized in a multi-QC file.
0: Multi-QC. The next chapter is a sequence quality histograms.
1: Does it look familiar to some previous reports?
0: I think so, yes. And now finally I see the decline after mm-hmm. 40 bases, mm-hmm. uh, 40 base pairs.
1: Yes, it's a different sequencing.
0: Yeah, so it looks like that there is a data for all these reads, so for all eight samples. Yes. And we see that threat score is at about 34, Mm -hmm. for the base pairs still 40. And then there is decline, which is bigger or smaller for different samples. Yes, And there are some samples which managed to go into the yellow area after about 70 base pairs.
1: Okay, so it's not true for every sample.
0: Yeah, yeah. Some samples are still in the green area, so the sequencing went good. And you could go individually to each sample, so to each line of the measurement and then see how close it is to the yellow area.
1: So there is one interesting point because w- all plots influence the other plots, which mean that if you have a high amount of duplicates, then the sequencing quality gets worse sure. because mm-hmm. the cluster need to be identified correctly, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if you have a lot of duplicate, it gets harder for the machine to see where cluster one starts and cluster two mm-hmm. ends. So
0: Basically. it could be one big blob as a cluster. Basically, yes. Okay. The next chapter there per sequence. So quality scores per sequence. That which is a different representation, right?
1: Yes. It's not according to length but total amount.
0: Yeah. So there we again go to the peak yes. format of the data. Yes. And the peak we see again at thirty-three mm-hmm. and that's exactly what we saw before. Just in this case we also see something like a small broad peak within yellow area for some samples yes because the quality of the data wasn't that good
1: some variety is expected between yeah. samples okay now so now we are
0: going to no we, we don't. are not <laughs> <That's> <laughs> okay so we, don't we have just time. <laughs> yeah exactly we just started to give you an introduction to several tabs within this multi qc file i will
1: i will now show you some different fast qc file and i will let you judge and see what is different because you've seen one before And you know know roughly what to expect, and now you see something else, something completely different.
0: Oh my god. Okay, now we are back to a fast QC report. Yes. We have basic statistics and we have the sequence quality per base.
1: So the graphs are the same, right? The same graph at the same position. But look at the axis and the data. Do you see different numbers in like read length and quality and stuff?
0: Yeah, I see absolutely different quality scores because now it's from 0 to 92. Yes. Why?
1: Because it's better quality data.
0: Wait, the quality score, isn't it this FRED score? Yes. Can FRED score be 90? Yes. What?
1: Yeah, just more nines.
0: I think you told me at some point that we had a FRET score of about 35 or 38, and that would be super, super cool. And this is what you usually get.
1: Look at the read length. This is not Illumina. This is not short read sequencing. This is other data. <laughs> how, long, <laughs> how long are the fragments there? on this FastQC report?
0: Majority of the fragments from short to about 23,000 base pairs. There we
1: go. What does this fragment length, 23,000, tell you about the technology?
0: Yeah, that we are in the pack bio non Yes,
1: exactly. And it's, uh, I will spoiler you, this is pack bio data.
0: OK, but then from this, why do you have here written encoding Sanger Illumina 1.9?
1: That's the base quality encoding. It's just the scheme on
0: what okay. means what. Confusing. Not important. Confusing. Okay. <laughs> OK, all good. Yeah, so graph looks a little bit different, but first of all, the green area and all these quality scores are pretty much different because green area now is not from 30 to 35. It's from 30 till 92. Of course, now predominant area is green, and we are happy about it. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, there is a huge decline in quality score starting from 23000 yes for this sample for this project and the drop is
1: it's one smart cell so one sample only
0: okay y- ah good yeah for this sample and the drop is from the quality score of 90 to 34 so there is like a super huge huge decline
1: since you know that this is packed biodata can you explain that why does the data looks so weird, right? It has really high quality, but after a certain length, it just drops completely to only Illumina scores, basically.
0: There was something.
1: Yes, there is something. PacBio, how does PacBio sequencing work?
0: again? Yeah.
1: You have those circular consensus sequencing, right?
0: Yeah, that goes like...
1: Goes like circles degrees, and circles around. Yeah? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there was a specific read length at the polymerase, the maximum polymerase read length.
0: At this point, polymerase stops working?
1: Mostly, for most reads, and that is the whole point. If or it slows,
0: fr- slows down, or it starts having errors, not if, functioning well.
1: If you have a fragment much longer than 23 Kb, then the polymerase is much less likely to complete three rounds. And three rounds is needed for circular consensus sequencing mm-hmm. to calculate out the sequencing errors. Mm-hmm. And if we have not three passes through the whole circular DNA, but only two, then the quality scores get much lower because we sequence one DNA only once mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or twice.
0: And you need at least three.
1: And we need at least three, and that's the whole point here.
0: Okay. Can we say that then this 23,000 is the limit?
1: Basically, the maximum of getting good HIFA yields at this point. And then with regardless the of
0: the sample, your quality score will be reduced at about the same length, at about 23,000.
1: But you see still that after 23,000, the quality is not in the red, is it?
0: Yeah, yeah. It's not in the red. It's almost not in the yellow. Within AeroBar, of course, we are coming to that. This is also an interesting point, because now with this FastQC report for PEG bio sample, we see the AeroBars, and I didn't see the AeroBars in the report for Illumina because they were so small, yes. most probably, you yes. could not see it. Exactly. And here you, you have uncertainty, yes. and this uncertainty, T falls down to yellow area but not drastically, so it's within within twenty percent or something.
1: What positions are in the yellow area? Like does it start at thirty thousand? So thirty KB reads, or where do we land in the yellow? Ah, okay. So pretty much after twenty three thousand we start getting mm-hmm. lower and yeah. we start entering the yellow start path. So fret score or Q score of twenty eight mm-hmm. or below.
0: Curious.
1: Interesting, right? So you see completely different FASQC reports because the sequencing data is just fundamentally different, right? You have also, if you would look at the numbers, you have much lower amount of reads, Mm -hmm. but much more gigabases, right? Because Mm -hmm. the individual reads are much longer. Right. If we would sequence the same organism, then the GC content should be the same. Mm -hmm. And now we are getting to something even more different. And that is much more complex for you to understand, but you can scroll slowly and it's a pico qc report basically fast qc for nanopore do you uh-huh. want to look at fast qc reports for nanopore data
0: I think so we already started i mean there is no way back <laughs> <laughs> let's get to nanopore <laughs> what i see what do i see the style of graphs i like much more
1: <laughs> much different yeah
0: it looks different yeah it's yeah. minimalistic but i see much more data so there is amount of reads How much? How much? How much? Amount of reads, we are in the area of two and a half millions.
1: So it was a Promethion flow cell, not a Gridiron, not a Minion, not a Flonkel.
0: And the run was done within 72 hours.
1: Yep. And that is because after 72 hours, what happens? Okay, you you will see it in the grass, but the bottom line here is... I will show you the Promethion flow cell here. After 72 hours, the proteins, the nanopores, just don't work anymore, basically. Just a really small fragment of Mm -hmm. the channels are still active and it isn't worth it Mm -hmm. letting the sequencing run further than this. All right. And in this report, you see two places where ATP was refilled. So it's a rather old nanopore sequencing.
0: Okay. then we have different graphs like distribution of the read length. Now we are going in logarithmic scale and we check the read density
1: What's the average read length for this nanopore sequencing run?
0: Between 10 and 100K. Okay. 30K.
1: (laughs) So the nanopore sequencing has no strict insert size, right? So the sequencing can be anything from 10 nucleotides to however long you can make the DNA strands that Mm, still go through the pore.
0: Pretty much. I also see something with only
1: 300
0: reads, then whatever. Reads or nucleotides.
1: 300 bases in read one read. length. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so one read with the length of 300 nucleotides.
0: Yeah. Then there is, of course, the graph about quality.
1: And how is it looking? Like FRED score, how are the Q-scores? How much is above 30? So in those plots, you see also the, <laughs> the q The thing score. is
0: that, yeah, it, it's not 2D graph anymore.
1: It's a heat map now.
0: Yeah, they are talking about read quality scores and estimated read length, and... I guess they're also introducing the read density in there, aren't they?
1: But go to the other plot, the mm-hmm. go up over, yeah, perfect. And there you see some quality numbers, right? So we had this, in the FastQC reports, we had this plot where we are looking for the peak, the mm-hmm. hi- very high peak, and that was for Illumina something, 30 something, mm-hmm. right? And here, this is the same graph. Yeah, we have here on the x-axis, we have the read quality scores, and on the y-axis, we have the amount of reads for a specific quality score. Mm -hmm. And you see here that the highest amount of reads has a quality score of 17. One, seven. That sounds shitty, right? Mm -hmm. And that is nanopore sequencing. Mm -hmm. This was not a human sample. And thus we barely scratched the Fred score 20 with only a couple of reads, basically getting Q-scores of more than 20. Mm -hmm. And you remember 20 being the border between the red and the yellow? Mm -hmm. So basically, this in a fast QC report would all be red,
0: hmm mm-hmm. Right? That's why they decide to use different format to not scare people.
1: <laughs> uh, you can also do fast QC with nanopore. That works. But then you actually see all red curves, all scratching sometimes the yellow with a new sequence it gets. If you use human DNA or human RNA, then this works better. And you are reaching 20 FRED score or Q score of 20 much more reliable. But that is how nanopore sequencing works. Longer, unlimited read length, technically,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but much lower quality. Yep. Much lower quality.
0: Yeah, yeah, which can be compensated because uh, you sequence much more. For the same money, yes. Yeah. We also have other panels with the meet read quality per sequence length or output over experiment time, read length over time, and mean read quality over time. So many, many different things. But I think. We would go now to one which is channel activity because I think this is a very important and interesting one. Could you comment on, on it a little so that we are not wasting half an hour of me <laughs> trying to tell what's that?
1: <laughs> okay, I will. What is much more understandable in format is the output over experiment time. So a sequencing run for nanopore is mostly 72 hours
0: mm-hmm. maximum.
2: Uh,
1: you could do longer, but it's not worth it because then there are only like 10 pores left and you don't get a lot of reads for the time that you are sequencing. Mm-hmm. So this output over experiment time is experiment time on the x-axis. We start with zero, st- go over 10, 20, 30, blah, 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 and end with some th- something above 70 hours. 72 hours is the exact dead point hea- here where we stop. We have two curves on the count axis, the y-axis. Uh, we have one, the count per minute or the counts that we currently get and the overall amount of reads, right? So how many reads we are currently producing and how much reads we completely generated in this sequencing so far with this cell, with this flow cell. And you see that basically we start at roughly 2.5 million. We go down slowly, right? We don't talk about this up and down for now.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's some fluctuation and a general yes. decline of the line till, approximately. Til
1: here, roughly 18 hours. And what happens at 18 hours? Most we
0: probably you're adding additional reagents on top. Yes,
1: we add ATP so that the motor protein starts again, has energy again to push the DNA through the pores.
0: Yeah. Is it automatically done?
1: No, we have to do it by hand. In this one, because it was old sequencing for now, As we told in the nanopore episode, the newer sequencing chemistry has an enzyme that only pulls DNA through when it's attached to the pore. Mm -hmm. So it only only needs energy when it's really sequencing and thus you don't need to refill ATP anymore. But here actually you can see that we refilled ATP twice, right? Mm -hmm. And you can see exactly at what time, because at that time where we refilled ATP, the amount of sequencing reads that we get much much higher suddenly, right? Mm-hmm. It just ramps up immediately. Doesn't go up to the original level because some pores didn't work anymore, yeah, or degraded, degrade, degraded already. Exactly, mm-hmm. so it goes down even though, but we are still getting to, yeah, uh, 1.5 million after the first mm-hmm. refill of ATP and roughly 1 million after the second.
0: Okay, mm-hmm.
1: but then after like 60 hours. Almost every channel is dead, and we don't get a lot of sequencing output anymore. But at that point, we already accumulated more than 2.5 million reads.
0: Mm-hmm. And that should be already okay.
1: And that's what we expect of the sequencing kit with this organism, with this sample, yes.
0: When we are getting back to this multi-qc file, mm-hmm. uh, where we had eight samples, if we are looking at, wait a sec... And the sequence counts mm-hmm. after we remove the duplicates.
1: Mm-hmm. It's Th- much higher.
0: Yeah, it's much higher. And yes. now it doesn't really match to me. Your statement with Nanopore, okay, we have bad or the low quality score, but we sequence much more and thus we compensate. Because yes. from this perspective, I don't see it.
1: So we compare bio to Nanopore because those are the two long read sequencing. You have to remember that the total sequencing output is not amount of reads, but amount of gigabases. Okay. That means reads, time, read length. Mm-hmm. And in Nanopore, we can have megabase reads. Mm-hmm. And for Illumina, we have a dead end of, in this case, 100 bases. Okay. Mm-hmm. Right? So even if we here have 10 million reads with 100 base pairs mm-hmm. per read...
0: You will end up with much lesser amount of length in general?
1: Of bases, gigabases sequenced in total, mm-hmm. if you have just fewer sequences, but mm-hmm. the sequences are much, much longer, okay. right? Mm-hmm. And for Nanopore, that is the case that we have sometimes kilobase, sometimes megabase reads, if we are lucky.
0: Nice. Mm-hmm. So
1: it's it's not the read length, it's the total amount of bases that we sequenced.
0: Okay, mm-hmm. makes sense.
1: Good. Okay, I'm I'm done. I'm happy to go home now. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so the formats that we took a look together today, these are not all formats.
1: Right. So we looked only at fastq files, and for PacBio we output bam files. Uh, that is because for PacBio we cannot only output the sequence, but on also the methylation. And that is actually the same for Nanopore. There we put out fast5 or pot 5s and fastqs as well. So that you can rebase call for nanopore and for PacBio, you have the sequencing the quality and the methylation or the sequencing kinetics for each read
0: all right yeah and in each reports being it multi-qc or fast qc you are having multiple panels where you could take a look at the quality at the amount of reads amount of samples
1: how long are the reads yeah how long important. the reads
0: were yeah what's the density and so on and so on. So yep. quite many parameters to, as Daniel said, <laughs> someone uh, to judge if the sequencing went well or not. If yep. you would like to repeat it or not. If you can you trust your data. Uh, your data. Yeah,
1: that's what we are trying to do with those reports. Yes. Wonderful. We, we are doing those reports for basically every sequencing run. Mm-hmm. For every sample, we are looking at the multi-QC or whatever reports, uh, and we always judge whether the sequencing worked or not. Not only on this, but a lot on this, right? We rely Mm -hmm. on FastQC, MultiQC, and FastP and PicoQC reports a lot, because there you can already start to troubleshoot if the reads are not as long as you expected, for example.
0: As an experienced bioinformatician who deals with these reports on a daily basis, how long does it take for you to analyze and to estimate, at least to give a primary result people
1: so after the multiplexing once i have the fastqc files you have to remember fastqc doesn't look at every read it just looks at the first twenty thousand, i think reads in each fastq file and then judges so for the illumina data it's rather quick like five minutes and you have your fastqc reports and once you have all the fastqc reports you then run multiqc once and it summarizes all the results so those are really quick things to do, and they are done automatically as part of our data analysis. Yeah, but
0: then uh, once it appears on your screen, how long it takes for you as a bioinformatician to look through the file and decide and give conclusion, okay, it was a good stuff or not good, there is something fishy, I'm not sure, I need to go to the lab to ask maybe if, if there were some problems.
1: 20 seconds.
0: Okay, so it's pretty fast at this point.
1: For Illumina, 20 seconds. For PacBio, a little bit more because it's more complicated. And for Nanopore, even more. But less than one minute. Okay. And we can see whether it was garbage and we need to repeat everything or not. Because that's rather important, right? If something didn't work, then we need to immediately start troubleshooting. Some of our projects are Mm time-critical. And we guarantee delivery dates. And um, we need to be able to do that Mm
2: -hmm. quickly. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: No, that sounds really nice that it's possible to look at the files and uh, directly see some signatures of a failed run or not, and then being able to proceed with the samples. Yep. Wonderful. So within this episode, we cover different reports that bioinformaticians look into. Yep. Then we checked reference 5X
1: <laughs> the positive control for Illumina sequencing experiments. Because each sequencing run is basically a sequencing experiment.
0: Exactly. And
1: we looked at unique molecular identifiers and how to avoid the PCR bias.
0: All right, wonderful. Cool. Thank you. I think it was a pretty diverse and nice special episode, and we checked different things that could be interesting.
1: I hope you learned something. Now you get inside of what I do for five minutes. Most working days. (laughs) Yeah, but now you can see what we mean when we talk about fret scores and how those reads are doing.
0: All right. Thank you for being with us. We hope you had fun. Take a look, rate the show. It always helps algorithms so that other people could reach us.
1: We want to bias the algorithm towards favoring this podcast. (laughs) <laughs> so please help us.
0: <laughs> please help us. <laughs> Not
1: the PCR bias, but the explain bias.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the explain bias. <laughs> we
1: have an email address for feedback. How do people reach us, Julia? You tell it. Podcast dot explain at gmail.com. We yeah. have also an Instagram, right?
0: Sure. Explain.pot. Yeah, you could easily find us. We have a logo on there. We store all our sketches on Instagram account where you could magnify it and take a look.
1: And a happy New Year.
0: No, most <laughs> probably it's already far away New Year. So no. Happy Easter, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>